Hi, welcome to the Neshamas podcast. We at Neshamas are on a mission to promote mental and emotional health within our community. Among the many ways we do this is by empowerment through education. This podcast is where we get to listen to personal experiences of those who have been affected by mental illness, the pain, the struggle to get better, and today, by the grace of God, have emerged with a message of hope and healing. My name is Moshe Khanen. I am a grateful addict in recovery, and I am a certified life and addiction recovery coach. I'm here to encourage vulnerability and allow for hope to emerge from the internal journeys we share. Please join me, hear the stories of these heroes, and know that you are not alone. Khani, thank you so much for being here and we know each other already for a while and it's been a long time where very you know very early in our relationship i believe that you are literally a living miracle mm, wow. and it's something that i actually feel quite often when i'm meeting with people that very early in in our conversations i'm able to see how oh my gosh i wish this person wrote a book. I wish this person, I wish the world can hear this. Mm. I wish I had a recording device on me where I could just record this conversation. I mean, this happens to me very often. I'm very fortunate to have these type of conversations with people. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, me opening up to the community and then a lot of people feeling comfortable to talk to me about very important, fundamental journeys that people go through internally. So, um, I think I want to start like jump right in and ask you that question of, you know, that when you meet with me and you want to do this podcast, you know that I'm going to ask you questions <laughs> that are going to be very personal and, and vulnerable. Yeah. And people are going to know you. What, why is it worth it? Why am I here? Well, first of all, thank you for asking me to be here. Um, why am I doing this podcast? Um, when I when you ask me that question, the first thing that comes to mind is I think of myself when I was like 15 years old. And I, I know now that I was in so much pain and I didn't know then. I just thought I liked to drink. I literally was obsessed with alcohol from the, the first time that I drank it. And um, I think if I was 15 years old and I knew that there was like another way to go about dealing with my pain, I mean, I can't go back in time and I wouldn't change anything because I'm so grateful for where I am. But like, there were no recovery podcasts that I knew about with Jewish or, you know, religious people talking about alcoholism or drinking or anything. And um, I don't even know if I would have been open to it. I was so young, but I think my purpose for being here is to share my experience in how I was convinced I had to live a certain way. And then I was shown that that is actually not true. And there's another way to be in the world without alcohol, specifically in my bag. Like I couldn't leave the house without it. Couldn't leave the house without it. That was, I, I was, it was, it was like a ball and chain on my life. And um, I don't live like that today. And so if I have the opportunity to share my experience with how I have been able to like let go of that ball and chain, not only let go of it, but like experience a humongous life as a result of not drinking, then who am I to not share it? You know, I owe it to the people that are out there that are still drinking that don't know that there's something else that exists. 
Right. I love how you use the word the words like to express there's such a big life mm. now for me. And um I'm I'm going back to the experience that I've had pre-sobriety as well as um in certain areas of life where I still struggle with where I that part of my life is still so small. You know? Mm. I have to in order for be for me to be able to stay like protected or you know survive secure is through I can't control the whole world I know <laughs> I know I can't control my town I know I can you know I can't control but at a certain point there comes when I make my my life small enough I could control it mm. you know, that's what came to me mm-hmm. what do you think about that I think yeah I was so scared of the world and you're right I I think growing up, I had no control over what was happening, and there was so much chaos and and abuse. And um, I think I did make my life small because I knew that, like, okay, after work, I go home and I drink and I get drunk every night. Like, that's a way for me to control my environment. And so, like, I know I'm going to go do my laundry at the laundromat, but I also know that I'm going to be have a buzz while I do it. Like, I 100% agree with what you're saying in terms of, like, trying to control things because in my mind, when someone else is controlling it, I'm not safe. And so I thought that I was protecting myself by keeping my world small. And I still sometimes am prone or drawn to saying no to new things that are scary because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like if I'm not in control of like, when are we going to eat? Like whatever like the specifics are of the experience, I still am drawn to saying no to things that are new because I don't know what they're going to be like. And and the unknown to me is so is still scary Thank God it's gotten so much better in the last couple of years, but control is a big part of my story. And it's funny that you picked that up in one second. That's, That's cool. Um, cool. Thank you. Um, so I realized that I'll, there may be people listening to this that have no idea who you are. Oh. And I think it may be a good idea to just take a moment to say like what life is like today. Oh. And then maybe get a chance to compare it to what life was like in different stages of your life. I'm going to say for the last two years before I stopped drinking, I would wake up pretty much every single morning. If the room wasn't spinning, I definitely had a headache. The thoughts that came to me were, oh my God, I cannot believe I have to live another day. I can't, like, this is so bad. And then I would like force myself out of bed and like the way that I would like calm myself down, I was like, well, you only have to live till 530 and then you can drink and then it'll be fine. So those, that's the narrative. That's how can you I tell me a little bit more about like, what did it feel like to wake up in the morning? Can you describe that feeling a little bit? The sense bit? of dread you're talking about? You want me to tap into that? Like yeah. the dread and the shame of like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that again. It's like, I wasn't even a party. Like, it's just like a Wednesday and I just couldn't go to bed sober. Um, I think a lot of it, when I first started drinking, I was like excited about how much I could drink because I'm a little person and I was able to like really hold a lot. And so I had pride about that. But then as the years went on and I'm still drinking, it was less pride, more shame. It was like, I was embarrassed that like I knew I couldn't be sober in the world. And so I, I, giving eye contact to people was really hard because it was like, they're going to see how much pain I'm in, you know? And so I wore sunglasses a lot in the morning. I had a hangover hat that like just covered my face. I didn't want people to know me because if you knew me, you would see how broken I was or how broken I felt. Um, 
And so, yeah, I had friends. It's not like I was alone drinking a lot all the time, but like for at the end, end, I was, I just, the thought of being sober and present in my life was not an option. It was just too painful. And I didn't even know then what I was running from. I just knew that I couldn't even try and I didn't want to, and alcohol is legal. And so I didn't think I was actually doing anything wrong. I just thought I was going to die either really hungover or just like from, you know, drinking too much. Like I didn't care. I was like, okay, so I'm going to be the person that drinks till she dies. It's not a big deal. It's like, I'm not doing drugs. Like, what does it bother anybody? You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was hurting anybody. Did you feel like you were hurting yourself? I knew I was. I didn't care. So like there was like one night a week, I knew I had to like sleep in the, by the bathroom, by the toilet. So like I could just throw up in the middle of the night and not have to get out of bed. Like that was normal for me. It's like, so who cares? Like I'm safe. I'm in my house. Somebody's listening and, and let's say they have uh alcohol or drug addiction and they'll say oh she was had you know she was that low right you know quote unquote you know she had to go to sleep at the bathroom you know i'm clean drunk Mm. i don't end up in the wrong places i'm totally in control therefore her story is not applicable to me right right uh well if it makes your listeners feel better i always took off my makeup at night (laughs) i never went to bed like i never woke up like in the same clothes like i always took care of myself too so in some certain some people could say why did you even stop it wasn't that bad i never woke up in places i didn't know either i always knew where i was it was it wasn't about that it was about the feeling of like i i can't be sober does that make sense like i um I couldn't face myself ever. Um, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror in the morning. I would put on makeup and like, just like, you know, go through the motions, but not actually look at who I am because I had so much trying to think of another word besides shame. What's what's another word um, that I'm like, uh, I guess embarrassment is a good one. Like I just, I knew, I knew that I was like wasting my life away and I couldn't do anything about it. And I didn't care. Sounds like a combination of like worthlessness and hopelessness. Yeah. I'm worthless. Yeah. And I still have. And even though I'm worthless, you know, some people could say, oh, maybe if I do something, I'll be worthwhile. But no, I'm hopeless and there's no way out of this hopelessness. Yeah. Uh, I'm worthless and there's no way out of this worthlessness. Yeah. I did feel hopeless. I did feel hopeless. Um, But I didn't want help. For a long time. I How was does like, that make any sense? I just was like, okay, I'm supposed to have a miserable life. Everyone oh. else is supposed to have these big, fun lives that they look forward to. Like, this is my lot. Sounds like you're saying that at a certain point you believed that you deserve. Yes. A hundred percent. I what's, didn't think I deserved. What's deserve... the narrative there? Like, how how is that even justified? I don't know. I just didn't. And I still sometimes have a hard time believing that I deserve this big life that I have. Um And I don't know where that comes from. I can't blame it on my childhood. I can't blame it on my parents. It was just like this internal thing. I I come from a really big family. None of my other siblings drink. Not one. There's 11 of us. So it has nothing to do with my childhood. It's just who I am. I'm uncomfortable in the world. I always was. I always needed something to make me feel better. You know, when I was younger, it was sugar. I, you know, whatever. Like, it just, it was always something. And then when I found alcohol, I was like, oh, this is the thing that's going to save my life. It ended up saving my life maybe for a year and then almost killing me when I was 20, 25, you know, before I got sober. Got it. 
What do you, where do you stand now in regards to your feelings of like hopeful, oh. you know, from less to full, like hopeful, wow. worthwhile? Well, now that I, <laughs> I know that there's another way and I have been tapped into a community of people that are also not drinking one day at a time. I actually believe in like the infinite possibilities in a way that I don't think I ever did. Wow. My eyes lighting up right now. I feel them <laughs> lighting up. <laughs> I feel it. Like anything is possible. I was just talking to a friend of mine who who's who's studying to be a, a personal trainer and 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 she was scared to like get on her, take on her first client and like someone asked her to do this thing and I was like, "Say yes. Do it scared." You're going to be scared no matter what, but you have to just jump in and do it. I don't know how to talk like that if I'm not sober. If I'm not sober, I'd be like, yeah, it's so scary. Don't do it. Why are you even taking the class? Like, why are you even studying? You know, but like as a result of not taking a drink and seeing other people do things that are fun and scary and doing it anyways and experiences that I've, that I've had that I've done scared so much of my life, I do scared, but I know now that that's not going to kill me. Like the feelings aren't going to kill me. Wow. I get to show up scared. I'm saying, wow, because I know in certain parts of my journey, a lot of that was there's behavior on the on the surface, or at least in, in the surface of my reality, which I know it goes against my own morals mm. in addition to it not being acceptable or it not being legal or whatever it is. I don't want to do it, mm. but I have to do it. Yeah. Because I cannot imagine a life where this is not an option. Yes. So even furthermore than stopping is the fear of knowing that it's not going to be an option in case I might need it. Yeah. How do you handle? Does that ever come back to you? Mm, you're serious. Are you talking specifically about drinking? About like, how am I doing it without, how am I doing my life without alcohol? Yeah, or so. Yeah, I think I, you can open it up. If right. there are any other, it could we could be talking about alcohol, but it could be talking about any type of substance addiction, behavior right. addiction. Yeah, well, I I'll just say it out loud. Like I was addicted to Instagram. <laughs> can we can we talk about that? Yeah. Um, like I would wake up in the morning and before I did anything, I would go on Instagram and just check and check and see who's watching and like check other people like for a half hour. I did that for probably six months to a year, and it almost killed me like spiritually. And, and one day I realized like, I, I can't do that. I cannot start my day by looking at what other people are doing. You just said something that's, I think could be fundamental. What do you mean spiritually killing you? What does that mean? It just created a sense of dis-ease and uncomfortability and comparing myself to other people and not trusting that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be and wanting what other people had. And so that was how I started my day every day for six months to a year. Like that person has what I want. That person has what I want. I'm never going to get that. I'm never going to get that. And it's like, where's the gratitude? There's no room for gratitude for focusing on what I do have. If I'm, con if I wake up and that's the first thing I'm looking at and I couldn't, and I, I knew that I was doing that and I couldn't stop. So like, I knew that it was harmful and I would do it every single morning. So what happens in between the day that you realize that, oh man, this is something I don't want to do until you actually spend your first day free and clear and sober from right. checking Instagram first thing in the morning? Honestly, I can't take credit. I don't know what happens. Something bigger than me moves into me and says, you deserve better and you know that you can have more. And so I started my mornings now with like, I sleep my f with my phone on airplane mode 
And the first thing I do when I wake up is I, I say Madani and I, um, I start writing and I'm usually, I'm just talking to Hashem, like on the paper, just like writing and writing. And, um, and then I, I read like spiritual books and then I pray <laughs> and then I meditate and then I go on Instagram. <laughs> but by the time I go on Instagram, it's been 40 minutes I'm connected. I feel like Hashem, I'm like, I'm going to use the word Hashem. Normally I say God, but like, I feel connected to Hashem and I feel like grounded in my life. And I've already focused on like the positive. I'm like, I'm usually excited for the day. There's something that I'm excited about. And then I can be like, oh, what's everybody else doing? Oh, that's so fun for them. You know, like I come at it from like a totally different perspective and my life doesn't depend on what's everybody else doing anymore. I don't know. It's been, it's been over a year of this and I'm pretty, I'm a happy camper. I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to go shift over to this whole other subject, which fascinates me. Okay. And that is your journey with Hashem. Okay. And religion. Yeah. And Judaism. So when I met you. Oh yeah. You seem to have a concept of God. Yeah. Non-observant. Yeah. whatsoever um but somewhat interested and and just wanting to have a shabbos meal <laughs> you know do you mean because i showed up every friday night <laughs> okay cool. um i it just fascinates me when when somebody could be in a place where they're guilt-free oh you mean because i didn't feel guilty for not keeping shabbos yeah yeah for so long for a decade plus yeah 15 15 years. That's a lot. 20? Wow. I don't know. So you're 20 years. No, no, like, okay, I'm I'm making myself older than I am. No, it's not 20 years. I am not 40. You grew up in a religious home. You were religious. Yeah, I grew up Chabad. And there was a time, you told me, that there was a time where you you were pretty hardcore. Chitas every day. Shachras, Mincha, and Mayrib. Yeah. Till I was like 14. Straight up. So. I was made fun of and I didn't even care. So there's a period of that. Yeah. And then there's a whole journey in between. And then I drinking. And I then one day you decide yeah. to come back. Yeah. So, of course, it's something, we're, it's common. We're Chabad. Yeah. It's common. Of course, we know people are searching and they come to Chabad. We try to put them to fill in. And then one day they become Balchuva and they go to Mayanot or they go to <laughs> Tiferes or they go to one of these things. And all of a sudden they become Balchuva. It's like, it's so normal for us. But I think when it's somebody that I'm close with, and I see their life, and I know that you were you were a happy person because of the work that you've done. And it, and I, I, we I don't know if we'll have enough time to talk about it the the things that you've been through and the pain, but there comes a time where you're free and clear from any Jewish guilt mm-hmm. and justified. Mm-hmm. And if anybody knows your story, they will not judge you. <sighs> And free and clear. And then one day you say, you know what? I think I want it. I think I want it back. Yeah. And I, I don't understand it. It's it, it happened so recently, like in terms of like wanting to come back. I don't I don't even know. So religion actually gave me a sense of safety when I was younger because of the chaos that was happening in my home. The structure of religion was 
safe for me. It was like, okay, you wake up in the morning, you do this, you can't eat that, you have to wear this. And it was like, okay, I knew the guidelines of what my life was supposed to look like. And if I did this, I was safe and I was protected and God was on my side. I'm not going to lie. When I picked up my, when I, I remember like it was yesterday, I picked up a drink and I literally put down God. I didn't need God anymore because I had vodka. Oh, it was wow. like a spiritual, they say alcohol is like spirits. Like it gave me the feeling of you're okay. You'd actually don't need that. You're fine. You don't need that. And it happened to coincide when in my teenage years, when I was going through a rough time and in my household, there was a lot of hypocrisy and it was really hard for me to want to be connected. But even at that time when I started drinking, I was at that point, I was scared and I did have the guilt. And so I did keep Shabbos for like five more years until I was ready to put the guilt down. I wanted to take a, uh, earlier on, we were talking about like the different stages. And I wanted to know because unfortunately, we just have a limited amount of time. Yeah, that we, we can. I thought we were here for 24 hours. Is that not happening? <laughs> um, yeah, we can't get that. <laughs> Um, there's so many different stages in your life and different things that you have come out on top of. Mm. And and I say that because like, I remember there was a time for me where, and I hear this very often in, in, uh, with people who struggle with mental illness mm -hmm. have had a day where they were just in their pain, which could have been a regular day. And they're looking at it, the world and they're watching people go to work mm -hmm. or they're watching people mm -hmm. in a restaurant mm -hmm. and we're saying like even possibly angry like why are you so happy yeah why yeah. are you able to just go about your day and have a regular day yeah and i'm sitting here in pain that was me by the way I re when you're saying that story, I remember sitting on Eastern Parkway outside my apartment on a Sunday and watching people just like walk along the parkway. This was like how dare they 15 just walk? years ago when I was like, why are they smiling? What? I don't get it. Like, what are they doing? How do they live their life? Like, are they going to get drunk right now? Is that why they're happy? Like, literally, I couldn't understand how you could just be in the world and be okay. It was so, it was such a foreign idea and concept. And now I'm that person. And I, I, I'm sorry for anybody that's like in pain and hearing how happy I am with my life. I'm sorry if that's like hard to hear, but I know that like, it's helpful to know that that's possible. Right. What? I wake up singing, specifically Avram Freed. I don't know why. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't stop. I wish I could. I mean, I don't actually wish I could. This is who I am. And I love it. Wow, that level of acceptance. I wake is up in the morning apparent. and, like, if I turn on music that's not Jewish, I'm like, no, I cannot listen to non Jewish music in the morning. I work for your wife. Ask her. She's like, why is there Alvin Freed playing right now? I'm like, because I'm here. Like, I just, the first three hours, I'm like, I need to, like, feed my neshama. I don't know. I guess it's, you don't have that? <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I'm like, wait, what, what's happening? It's true. So I wanted to take, uh, you know, a good couple of minutes now. If you can just kind of visualize your timeline and different stages of your life where you want to deliver a message to somebody who is going through something that you have been through. And it's a, there's a lot. That's why I'm saying like different stages of your life because there's so many different points 
which can inspire somebody else. And I am not being insensitive. I think I, I understand that if somebody is going through something currently and they're hearing you say your message, they might say, oh, look, I don't. It's still so foreign to me. It's still so impossible. I'm still so hopeless. I understand that. But to at least plant a seed for somebody mm. so that when they're ready, the option they'll know that the option is there. Yeah. So if we can go through different stages from as early as possible up to your last, I want to also talk about your last 90 days um, out there and what got you to start getting sober and what, how did the shift actually begin? But can you go back a little bit? So one of my last drunks, like like heavy, heavy drunks was um, in June of 2007 because I got sober in August 16th of 2007. So I flew home to LA to go to my nephew's bar mitzvah and it was in my father's shul. And at the time my sister had just gotten divorced. And so, and my parents are divorced. And so all of these people were going to be in the same room, my mother, my father, my sister, and her freshly, freshly ex-husband who I had been very close to throughout their marriage. And so I hadn't really talked to him since they got divorced. And so I had no tools or coping skills to like deal with the situation where like my mother and father in the same room the last time I had seen them in the same room I was like I think 12 years old like I don't at my sister's wedding like or at my other sister's wedding like maybe 18 sorry I was being dramatic but like I I wasn't familiar with how to interact with them together and my sister was going to be there and my you know and I just didn't know what to do so the bar mitzvah was at 11 a.m and I was like drunk by 11 15. And I remember, and like, there was vodka there because it were Chabad. It wasn't like I was stealing it. It was just like on the table, right? So I'm just like drinking and drinking and drinking. And then I get back to my sister's house and it's like two in the afternoon and I'm throwing up in her bathroom. And just the shame of that. Like, I could, I, I don't remember anything from the bar mitzvah. I was wasted, right? Um, and I, I don't know. There was just this feeling of like, oh my God, you're such a failure. You couldn't even be at your nephew's bar mitzvah. <laughs> like... You were there. You look great in the pictures. But like, I don't remember anything. I just remember drinking. I didn't get messy drunk. It wasn't like I made an embarrassment of myself. No one maybe even knew. But like, I knew that I could not be present for that. It was too painful. And I just drank it away. I had nobody to talk to about it. So I just drank. And then I came back to New York and... A friend of mine had gotten sober and had like 30 something days and he was someone that was like a heavy, I mean, he was like me, you know, and, and, and to know that he had gotten sober was like, wait, what? He got sober? That's crazy. Let me see what that's about. And um, I don't know. I was just drawn to seeing if there was another way for me. I was only 25 years old. Like, I don't know where the willingness came from to, to show up to see what else is out there. Um, but I was introduced to a community of people who have a different way of being in the world, who drank like I did, and were all sitting in a room and weren't drunk and Why were is it smiling. Helpful? Why is it helpful to to say that, that they drank like you did? Because I knew that they knew what I was feeling. And they had gone through what I had gone through and were sitting there and were not going to drink that night. When I showed up that night, I was not planning to not drink. I was going to drink when I left. I don't know why I didn't and why I haven't. 
right? Something shifted. God, a spiritual awake experience, like grace, a moment of grace happened where I was like, wait, if these people drink like I do and are not drinking tonight, I want to do what they're doing. They look happy. I am miserable. And I just started taking their suggestions. But if it happened for you, why? what's to say that it should happen for anybody else? If you're saying know, that it's I don't such know a that it will. Thing. I don't know that it will. Not everybody gets sober who needs to. Some people do and some people don't. I don't know why I was given this gift. So if it is a gift, is there a way that somebody can create the possibility for that gift? Can somebody create a potential, a space for that to happen for them? Yeah, I think I think in order for that to happen, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answers to these questions, but like I think For me, it was like this internal, like, I want something better for myself. I don't know how to do it. But like just wanting something better, like this, like this internal will to live just came over me. And that first night, I remember having this like experience that I don't know what you want to call it, but I remember thinking, I know, can I say alcoholic? Like, I know that I'm an alcoholic. I know for sure with every core of my being that I'm an alcoholic. If I drink again, it's not because I stopped being one. It's because I stopped caring that I am one. Wow. Because I know that I'm always going to be an alcoholic. What am I going to do about that now? How do I show up for that information? I didn't know that until that day. I just thought I drank a lot. But I learned, oh, no, 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 you actually, you're an alcoholic. Like, of course you're going to drink. But we have a Sounds way like out. Sounds like there's an acceptance there. Yeah, I accepted. I 100% surrendered that like I need help. I cannot do this on my own. It was not perfect. I didn't do it gracefully. But I haven't had to take a drink to turn off that part of like, I don't care anymore. So when I go back to that and I try to, to put myself, like be empathetic and try to go into that place, right? Where it's the first day. I normally drink every single day. Yeah. And um, I come back. I was so I come scared. Home. I was so scared. And what what was I know that if somebody is experiencing that now, right? And they're saying, but what am I going to do the first hour or the yeah. second hour yeah. or the third yeah. hour? Every single minute or yeah. hour that comes by is a whole journey on its own. Yeah. So what was that experience like? So like how did you get the first 24 hours? Oh my god. So it was a Thursday night. Um I came home and Someone that I had met through my friend said to me, oh, do you have alcohol in your house? And I was like, uh, are you kidding? Of course I have alcohol in my house. She's like, great, take my number and then like call me when you get home and you can pour it down the drain while I'm on the phone with you. And I had never spilled out alcohol. It was Grey Goose. I just need everybody to know that. Um, I had never spilled out alcohol in my life. Like I was the person if we're going to the club or to a party, like if you weren't finishing your drink and I didn't even know who you are, it didn't matter. I was going to finish it. Like alcohol doesn't go to waste. Like my baltashkas takes on another level when it comes to vodka, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to spill out this half bottle. It wasn't full, like obviously, because like that would not make sense, but it was half. And I remember today the feeling of watching that thick liquid run down the drain. It was, it was 12 years ago. I remember like it was yesterday watching it and being like, I have no idea what my life is going to look like, but I trust this stranger on the phone that she knows how to not drink one hour at a time. 
And you got that amount of trust just from meeting that person? Yes, because I, I trusted that she was sober and that she had gone through this too and wasn't drinking. And it's then I amazing said, how so much trust can be built in such a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. There's a language that happens between one person that used to drink and another person who's trying not to drink. The identification is magic, and it, God is in that identification. There's power in that. And then I said to her, you know, there's another bottle in my closet. What about that one? And uh, she was like, let's spill that one out too. Um, wow, that's risky. <laughs> I, I didn't have to tell her about it. I could have just kept it in my closet. But she was like, the fact that you have a closed bottle in your closet is, you know, you're in the right place. Got it. And um, so that's the first night. That was my first night. How'd you fall asleep? I was actually literally, this is going to sound so weird. I was excited. I was on fire. I was like, oh my God, what's going to be? Like how, I don't know, but these people know. I wasn't scared. And was I think I actually went to the Hamptons that week, that weekend. I did go to the Hamptons. I was the sober designated driver. My friends were still drinking. I was like, all right, I don't have to drink anymore. I don't know. The compulsion to drink was lifted that first night. That's a miracle. I understand that. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's come back over the years. It's come back. The compulsion to drink has come back, but then something takes it away. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have to do that. Wow. And if we can jump out of this for a second, because this is so amazing. Yeah. Um. Can you talk about the whole therapy oh. journey? Oh. <laughs> Meaning like, when was the first time you've ever seen a therapist, oh. a mental health professional? Because you talk about other people who were alcoholic, but I want to hear about when were you willing to see a professional? So because my parents got divorced when I was so young, my parents took me to therapy when I was like five years old. So I was, I was familiar with it from a very young age. I'm not from Crown Heights. I don't think that the stigma was as strong in LA. I don't know, but I was, it was like in the early eighties. And, um, I think I went like pretty regularly since I was like in high school. So for me, having a therapist was never something that I was embarrassed about. I always had a therapist. And throughout all those years, nothing came up about missing something. What do you that, mean? I know that, where you're going. That alcohol filled. No, I just thought, well, I wasn't drinking that heavily in high school. But I remember when I was like in my early 20s and then I got sober, I didn't think I needed a therapist anymore because I was like, well, now I'm sober. I don't need to go to therapy. So I stopped. Meaning like, seeing alcohol as your problem. Right. I thought alcohol was the problem. And then when I finally got sober, I had two years sober and I was like, I don't need to go to therapy anymore. I'm fine. So why would you go back to therapy? Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> Maybe you do. That's probably why we're here. Um... Such a long story. I don't know where to start. I don't know where you want me to take this. Um, Ultimately, I, I want if there's a message for a person who needs to hear that. Okay, I'll I'll go there. When I was three years sober, literally one day out of the blue, I had memories of being abused when I was a child. One day in therapy, 
literally for the first time in my life, I was 27 years old. I was three years sober and I had memories of being abused. I don't know if that's what makes me an alcoholic. I'm not going to blame that or the person. Uh, but that is when things got really bad for me, really bad. I was three years sober. I couldn't drink. And I was in more pain than I had ever been in my entire life. I was a shell of a person. In sobriety. In sobriety. With a support system. With a support system. Could barely go to work. Could barely feed myself. Um, was scared to be alone. Um, oh my God, I'm starting to cry, which is fine. Um, I just thought people should know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was bad. I was on, um, I was, so basically I had been, diagnosed when I was two years sober or a year and a half sober, I was diagnosed as bipolar. And um, I never really identified as being bipolar, but I just listened to what the doctor said and I went on a, a medication that was really strong. And then when the memories came out um, and then a year later, my hair started falling out. I went to a doctor and they said, oh, it's from the medication that you're on for your bipolar. And I was like, I really don't think I'm bipolar. I just don't. And um, it turns out that the, the symptoms of the trauma before I even had the memories were similar to that of bipolar. But um, once I had the memories, um, it turns out I'm not bipolar. I was able to get off the medication and I haven't been on medication since. Were we, did you want to talk about this? Is this where you want to? This is where God's uh, okay. guiding us to. So I guess that's where we're going. Yeah. I was so scared to get off the medication because I had, I, in my life, in my mind, it had been saving my life, but um, it turns out I didn't need it. Um, and so, yeah, the, the memories of the trauma, I would say it took like four years <laughs> For me to feel... Uh, That's so long. I, should we, it might even be more. And sometimes I still feel really triggered and really scared. Um, but yeah, it altered my perception and perspective of my life and the world. It, it, all over again. All over again. I was 27 years old. I was in a relationship with someone, thank God, because they took care of me. I would not have been able to take care of myself. A hundred percent. That was a God-given gift that I happened to be in a relationship with someone who was like, I'll take care of you, basically. Right. I should mention that if anybody wants to, uh, Hani did mention that her, she started having hair loss. There's a whole story <laughs> yeah. that you can look up on YouTube um, of Hani's mic drop uh, um, speech, which I encourage you to go look and you can get more, even more yes. inspiration than you're have, having right now. I, I got to mention that. Yeah, I uh, I have on I have alopecia sometimes. Sometimes I have hair, sometimes I don't. Um, but that's not super important today. Today I happen to be having a great hair day. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, thank you for being willing to share this. Yeah, and, um, and I think I it's important. I think it's important. I don't want to really. I want to like have something that's like no one's business but like what does that even mean like maybe if i went through it and i can help one person to know that like they're not alone then like it was worth it can you picture that person 
there's for sure so many of those people. What do you want to tell them? Everything changes. You will not feel this way forever. You're safe now. And there are people who have gone through, if not exactly, something similar who can help you and who will just stand there with you. I didn't do anything by myself those four years. I still don't do anything alone. But um, I have found community and I have found connection with people who get it and um, who are here to stand in the world with me. Literally, if it's literally someone just like sitting on my couch, being there with me while I'm in the pain so that I don't have to feel it by myself. I have the kind of friendships where I can go to my friend's house and uh, say, I, uh, I I don't know what's going on, and then just start sobbing and just have her sit there while I cry. That happened literally a month ago. I don't know. There are people out there. We don't have to do any of it alone. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody listening to it and says to themselves, it's so frustrating to know that that help is out there and I'm just not either willing or able, I just can't get myself to ask for that help. You, I, I understand what you're saying, but you can't get help unless you ask for it, unless you want it. I, we can't help people that don't want something different. They have to want it. And even if it's like 99% doesn't want, but 1% does, Use that 1% to pick up the phone, to call someone, to be like, I need help. Choose the one person who you I know. I love would... how you just said that, because once you broke it down into those small steps of like, however long time you need to hold your phone, yeah. however long time you may need, take it and find the person in your phone book. Yeah. However long, just take the phone, look at the number, dial it. You don't need to share your whole life story. No. You can just say, I'm in a state and I just need help. Yeah. And I'm not ready to tell you yeah. what's wrong, but I just need you to know that I need help. Yeah. Is there any... I think we could go on for a long time, but I think it'll be a good time to wrap up. And I wanted to know if there is anything else you want people to hear. Um, to hear or to know, um, I could ask the same question a different way, Yeah, which I asked it earlier. Like, why are you telling people this? (laughs) Why is it worth taking the risk of people looking at you differently? Um, because I think it's important, especially, especially in the community that we come from where like no one talks about anything and we are so concerned with our image and being a certain way and fitting into a certain box that like having other people know that there are people who have had pain, who have pain, who are getting help is important. I think it's important. We're not special just because we're Jewish and we don't get, we don't have issues. Like we are, we need the help that is available just like everybody else. And it's out there. And I think pretending that like, Oh, well we're from, we don't need therapy. It's like, wait, what? You know, like Everybody, everyone's struggling with something. When you started speaking now and you're talking about, I, I, I hear you being vulnerable 
talking about your personal experiences. And yet in this, while you're talking about your personal experiences, you've mentioned earlier in this sitting that there was a time where you couldn't look yourself in the mirror because mm. you didn't want people to know you. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. didn't want people to see how broken you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I get on stage every night and I tell people how broken I am. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> but it saves my life. I let people see me. Have you ever had people come to you and say, thank you for saying that? Yeah. Can you give me any example? You mean uh, on stage or in general? In general, but mostly in regards to you sharing publicly. Yeah. I Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I don't even know how many, like when I did that mic drop and I shared about my experience with my hair loss and, and all of that, I mean, the messages were insane. They were just flowing in. People were like... I identify so much and not even, it, it was about hair loss, but it was so much more. And like being able to share of myself, knowing that I'm doing it to be of service to other people is how, I don't know, like it just, it affected other people. I don't know. And you're saying it was worth the risk? Yeah. It's, it, it has to be. The risk is just like my fear of like what you guys think of me, but like, that's none of my business. I'm just here to be who I am. Right. I hear people say that, you know, like either, um, you know what? I'm I'm really successful because I just don't care what anybody thinks of me. Oh, I care deeply, but I also know that I can't. I want everybody to love me, but like not everybody's going to. And that's okay. Because I am proud of who I am and I love myself. I didn't love myself 12 years ago. That was so beautiful. I don't want to say anything more. I don't want to... Um, I just want to leave the. Uh, can I the, say goodbye? Uh, you can say goodbye. You can <laughs> you can do a shout out or whatever. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to promote my show, which is you know a monthly show at Branded Saloon. That would be tacked. <laughs> that would be bad. I'm a comedian. Look me up. Follow me on Instagram. I tell jokes about all of the things we talked about. It'll be fun. Khani Lisbon at at Instagram. Well, no, it's you know what I'm saying. They'll find me. Will they? They might not. I have three followers. I just need a couple more. Okay. Thank you for having thank me. Sorry. You. I just made it light. I hope that's okay. That's just fine. That's it's what I do fine. when I feel vulnerable. I'm like, make jokes, make jokes. Cause it's too much, but it's also not too much. Right. We did just the right amount. Thank you. Khani. Um, I cannot thank you enough for being here. Thank and you. Um, I am 100% certain because I've experienced this and you've experienced this, that we're going to hear from somebody uh -oh. <laughs> that's going to say, I heard your podcast mm. and you changed my life. Whoa. You know, that was the first time I ever heard somebody say ABC. That's the first time I've ever felt ABC. Wow. And that's why we do this. Yeah. And yeah. Can't thank you enough. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for listening. Please share your feedback by emailing us at podcast at neshamas.org We hope you'll be back for the next episode of the Neshamas Podcast. This is Moshe Khanim wishing you a healthy and a meaningful day.